In today's episode, we're speaking to Ian Westmoreland. Ian is the founder of not-for-profit organization, Mentoring Men and Kansuki Heroes. A life-changing moment happened in September 2013, which altered the course of Ian's life. It would leave him a lucrative, it would make him leave a lucrative 42-year-old IT career and devote himself entirely to volunteer work. Let's find out why Ian made this shift and how he changed his life by changing his mindset. Let's find out. And remember, if you want to upgrade your money mindset, then click on the link www.millionairefoundations.com and watch my free training. Money Mindset with Girl Khan podcast will help you to break free from your limiting beliefs, reverse your money shame and blast through your money blocks so that you can live a life of unlimited abundance. In this podcast, we will talk about energy tools and mindset strategies that will help you to understand and change your relationship with money, whether you're in a job, profession or working on your passion. Change your relationship with money to change your life. I'm your host, Gul Khan. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome. This is Gul Khan, your money mindset expert. And today I'm so excited. I'm speaking <laughs> to Ian Westmoreland. Welcome, Ian. <laughs> G'day, Gul. That's the most enthusiastic welcome I've ever had, I think. But uh, it's, it's good to be here in uh, sunny Sydney, Australia, while you're over there in, uh, in the cold motherland. Actually, it's it's funny. It's sunny in London at the moment, so it's quite sunny today. <laughs> Actually, one of the rarities, but it's not the sun doesn't come out very often. Anyhow, Ian, everyone's had your intro. They know how fabulous you are, but please, in your own words, tell everybody what it is that you do. Uh, what I currently do, I, I guess, well, I'm a family man, so I've been married to my wife, uh, Helen, for 40 years. Wow. Over 40 years. Uh, we have four kids and we have uh, 12 grandchildren. I... I've been a full-time volunteer for the last nine years. And during that period, I uh, mentored uh, kids at high schools and primary schools in Sydney. Uh, and I've set up two charities. One charity is called Mentoring Men and another charity is called Kintsugi Heroes. Uh, uh, hopefully, I'll get a chance to talk about those more later. And I'm actually working on a proposal to, I'm hoping, I'm expecting, will significantly reduce domestic violence. So there's, there's, they're, the, they're the things, that's who I am at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, leading a very busy, busy life. Fabulous. Ian, tell us how, I mean, I, I before we got on, um, um, before we started recording, I saw your wonderful, wonderful family. It was just <laughs> beautiful to, it honestly, it's very beautiful to witness a family like that. But I want you to tell us your journey. Talk us through how did you get involved with these charities? How did you get to where you are at the moment? And I find anybody who's has who's on a mission in, in life or who has a purpose, who, who is aware of the purpose, has been through the dark ages, has 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 been, you know, has sort of fought the demons. So talk us through what led you to to do the kind of work you're doing at the moment. Well, maybe I'll I'll take it back to um I always had a drive to make money. And okay. I uh, started working full time, but I thought this would just be temporary. And then I started doing part time things to try and bring in additional money. And uh, I had a number of business ideas. I uh, used to import and sell squash rackets and tennis rackets. Uh, we ran what we call a milk bar over here or a general store. So I'd work full time and do these other things on the side. Um, my wife would uh, clean houses and, uh, and she would work in a nursery with a brother. 
Um, so early on, uh, we had our kids, our first three kids very early, and we were poor. We struggled f- for income, and that's why I guess we're doing all those things. Over time, though, I gradually worked my way up the corporate ladder uh, through some, some major risks. Uh, my wife was the risk taker mm. um, and finished up in relatively senior, well-paid positions. And then in 2013, I started to increasingly think there's more to life than just making money and, and delivering software changes. My, my, my primary work was in the IT space. Mm-hmm. And then on the 10th of September, 2013, I got on the train to come to work and I read something in a book that my youngest daughter had given me. And what I read that morning transformed the thinking for the next stage of my life. And in May 2014, I, I quit paid work. So I've been a full-time volunteer since May 2014. And I felt led to start mentoring kids in Sydney high schools mm-hmm. through a, a amazing program called RAISE. In addition to that, I started mentoring kids in Sydney primary schools. And then in addition to that, I signed up as a coordinator for a, like a family mentoring program. And then in 2018, I was mentoring a young guy in one of the Sydney high schools. And in our, our discussion, he shared with me that his father had suicide. His mum was an addict who was uh, in and out of rehab. He was living with his grandparents, which he hated. And then he just, he turned, he looked me in the eyes and he started crying. And he said, Ian, help me. And I mean, what can you do? And I debriefed with a program counsellor later on, letting her know about the details, I guess, looking for guidance. And she surprised me. She said, Ian, are you okay? And I just started crying myself over the situation. And for a couple of months, I was, I was flat, uh, which is really unusual for me, like emotionally flat. And then it occurred to me one Saturday morning, I wanted to have a mentor, just like the mentoring I provided to all these kids. Now, I should explain, when you mention the word mentor in such a broad term, for most people in business, they assume it's someone with acquired skills and knowledge mm-hmm. and experience yeah. who guides, directs, advises someone else. What I'm talking about, I call it life mentoring. Mm-hmm. And life mentoring is predominantly listening. It's supporting. It's encouraging. Uh, people aren't broken. They don't need fixing. They just need to be validated or a softer way. They just need to be shown love. And I looked around for the nearest organization that provided life mentoring to men and was surprised and incredibly disappointed to find there was nothing suitable. As a demographic, men struggle more than most other demographics. We struggle 100%. around shame, yeah. around vulnerability. Yeah, that's the 100%. I know that for a fact, yes. I've, I've had a, a discussion with another guest, uh, I think a couple of months back, and we were discussing how the suicide rates across the globe, not just one particular country, across the globe are significantly higher um, than right. women. So in Australia, the, the rate of suicide amongst men to women is generally three to four to one. When men are going through separation, it increases to 12 to 1. So when I saw there was nothing there, it motivated me to actually write a proposal to establish a new business, which became uh, Mentoring Men. Uh, mm-hmm. For those who can see, that's the, the banner back there. So it's a free program, and we train up volunteer men like me through our own mentor training course and through suicide prevention. And then we carefully match them with another man. We call him a bloke, another bloke in Australia who may be going through things like relationship breakdown, Job loss. Job loss is a huge issue for many yeah. men. Uh, loneliness or isolation. And it's a long-term one-to-one mentoring relationship. And over time, trust develops and men are encouraged around vulnerability. And, you know, I, I'd hear things like, oh, Ian, I've never told anyone this before, but and yeah. they go on and share something. <laughs> or, Ian, you know more about me, my inner feelings, than the blokes I've known for 20 years. Don't mm-hmm. So after a slow start, it's just boomed. 
thousands of men have engaged. Um, it, it started off with a small um, uh, seed money that my wife and I and one of the other directors put in, and um, it's now uh, the revenues over a million dollars a year. And it grew to the point, uh, and I'm doing all this as a volunteer, whereas at the end, end of 2021, I was able to step aside from all the operational responsibility. I actually stepped off the board as well a couple of months ago, but I'm still an ambassador. I still have, I talk to people about the program. There's a lot of interest overseas, um, mm. and the, our program officially only operates in Australia. But I'm like I'm mentoring a young guy in Johannesburg in South Africa at the moment. So it, there's it it start off being predominantly face to face, or you know, two two men just going for a walk together side by side. But now with the technology and I guess one of the good things to come out of COVID, we've realised mm-hmm. that we can do this anywhere around the world. Yeah. So that uh, I, after stepping aside from that, it, uh, my my brain is always spinning. It's always active. I'm always looking for things. And I thought back to an idea I had in 1993. And as a, a young guy who suffered from low self-esteem and and self-worth, a lack of confidence, I'd seen the power of storytelling to build up belief in myself. Um, as a young guy, I, I set a goal. If, if I could just be average, how good would that be? That, what a great goal to set, to be average. And um, I love the Nelson Mandela type books. And I thought this would be great if, if we could get, a, and back then I used to think it had to be famous people who share their stories as part of a book to give hope and inspiration to mm-hmm. these, the eons of the world who are lacking confidence. And I wrote to three community leaders in Australia, and one of them, a well-known entrepreneur called Dick Smith took the time to write back to me. He sent a handwritten note. And the note said, Ian, this is a great idea. And then he added, you do it. And it sat there for almost 30 years. And when I stepped aside from the mentoring men operations, I thought I'm going to do this. Now, technology changed a lot from 1993. Yeah. (laughs) um, So what we do, we have a relaxed conversation like this. I don't host the conversation. We have a relaxed conversation. That gets edited into podcasts, so video podcasts, uh, audio podcasts. But I'm still keen on the book, and I've engaged an author in New Zealand who takes a transcript of the conversations. We use AI. And then the first two books are near completion. One, we're just doing the final design. And I should explain, it's it's got an unusual name. I, I When I was about to start the second project, I let many of the contacts I know know what I was planning to do. And one of my contacts rang and said, Ian, I've got a name for your projects. I said, oh, great, what is it? He said, Kintsugi. He said, never heard of it. What is it? And uh, he explained, it's a, it's a Japanese word. I'll hold up my coffee cup. So there's a legend that a Japanese emperor had some valuable pottery. And over time, it chipped and cracked and showed the signs of wear and tear. And he said to his craftsmen, fix it, repair it, make it brand new, make it look brand new. And they couldn't do it. But what they could do was repair it using a precious metal like gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you're not, you go. So now when you look at it, it's far more beautiful and it's far more valuable than the original. Yeah. And it's a metaphor for the goals for the Ians. Mm. The lived experience that we have makes us more resilient. It makes yeah. us more valuable. more be- So the, the goal, the objectives of uh, Kintsugi Heroes is to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges. And I've taken a step further now, and I've seen this again and again, helping people reframe how they see that adversity to actually mm-hmm. see the hidden value in that. And then thirdly, it's just to help the broader community better support people going through adversity. So our very first one was around grief. One of, in fact, one of the board members of Kintsugi Heroes shared about the, his wife uh, dying through cancer. We've captured stories of domestic violence, uh, of physical disability. Um, addiction comes up a lot. 
mental illness, trauma. So the whole range, it really it will cover any sort of uh, any sort of theme. So that's been, I guess, my passion for the last uh, 12, 18 months is around, around that. And we've seen some really good progress with that. Amazing. And that sort of led on to this uh, domestic violence, which is a huge issue in Australia. I don't know what it's like in, in, uh, in it's, other it's countries. A, I think it's, a, it's across the board. And I think that one of the things that um, is coming um, up more often is domestic violence, not just against women, but against men too. So it's happening on both ways, not as severely as it is against women, but then that's because of sheer physicality, because obviously men are much more, um, uh, have more, a lot more strength than women do. But there are men who experience physical um, and emotional violence too. Yeah. So as you said, it's mostly men to women and in some cases women to men. Mm. It's also men to men and women to women as well. And uh, it's even uh, child to parent. So it's so wow, a, that too now. Yeah, okay. and a lot of it's um, a lot of it goes unreported. And I, one of the things, one of the we talked before coming on air about lessons and the mentoring men path took me down the homelessness path and took me down mm-hmm. the addiction path. And I, I realized later what a judgmental person I've been. And I was talking to one of our mentors. So I've never taken illicit drug in my life. But I started meeting with ice addicts and, and trying to get an understanding around that. And I was talking to one of our mentors once who used to take drugs. And he, he said something to me that just totally reframed my thinking. He said, Ian, if you want to reduce illicit drug usage, stop sexual abuse. Now, it took me four or five seconds to understand what he was it makes saying. So, it makes once, so much sense. It makes complete sense to me, 100%. Yeah, so, so the old Ian was this judgmental, and I still have arguments within my family daughters will say dad but they're making that choice to do that but now what horrendous thing has happened what what pain is trying to be numbed through this and the focus moves from judgment to empathy yeah and understanding and and and, and compassion yeah so but as a society we focus on symptoms not cause yeah and this is where i want to tackle domestic violence I want to prevent it. Like the, the focus in Australia at the moment, or we need more women's shelters. And clearly we need support there. But how much smarter would it be if we could reduce the number of cases? And I, I can't go into too much detail about that, but a plan is, I've been speaking to the government here and I'm excited about, I guess, learning the experiences I've had from mentoring men and Kitsuki heroes as a preventative measure. Yeah, uh, I mean, so. I mean, and this makes sense to me because I think, I think you you can't just tackle one and not the other. You have to see what the symptoms are at the moment. So the symptoms are the severity of the physical abuse against all demographics. You know, especially women and young children, and maybe the, now that with the rise of the the new child, who I'm, I'm I'm a bit shocked to see the children are, are abusing their parents as well, which is a foreign concept to me. You know, coming from an Asian background, but. Um, you have to simultaneously tackle that along with um, preventative measures. You can't have preventative measures and not tackle the current situation. Otherwise, you're 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 missing the point. And I think that is a beautiful way. But most of the time, Ian, I, I, here I will congratulate you. Ninety nine percent of the time, all I've heard of is the prevent is not the preventative measures, but the actual case. So these are the symptoms. Let's address it. Let's work on it. It's the aftermath. So we've got this issue. How do we address it? Not actually how do you prevent it from happening? And what you just said before about sexual abuse, I, I do money and I, I focus primarily on your money issues and how to bring more money into it. 
And I was one of the early people who back, I think, back in 2017, uh, 18, when I started going through and I started talking about how sexual abuse and sexual violence, um, especially in adolescence, as a child, as a young teenager, as a young adult, leads you on to having financial issues later on. And people kept saying, well, you know, what's that got to do with money? And it's all integral part of who you are. If you don't feel safe, how would you allow yourself to have money? Because money cause, you know, allows you to have safety as uh, security as an adult. Um, and one of the primary ways to keep the status quo and feel unsafe is not to have is um, is to yeah. repeat the pattern. And this is what happens. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. A, a couple of the thoughts around that. So I've mentored lots of kids in high schools and primary schools, and virtually every one of the young kids I mentored came from a broken family mm. so the relationship broke down usually the kids would go with the mother mm-hmm. so there's no positive male role model and it leads to the sorts of things that you were talking about i i would bet that the if we, we're talking i don't focus on money that should become clear but but if we're looking at financial success i suspect that that kids coming from a single parent family are far less likely to have financial success than coming from from uh, a two-parent family. I hope you are enjoying today's episode. If you want to learn more about my mindset strategies and energy tools to help you change your money mindset, then please register for my Abundance Mindset Makeover Workshop by visiting www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com. See you inside the workshop. The other thing and, we and, talked about before. I want to pause it for, and, I, and I'm going to agree with that. And then I'm I'm a single parent, and I come from um, um my my first uh, I've had two marriages break down. First marriage was um, physical abuse. The second was the narcissist. And it was a mental emotional abuse, which is far more greater. I will say this: the the physical scars can be healed, and you can overcome the fear that associated with it. But the emotional scars from the second one, um, because he was a textbook narcissist. I'm still healing, you know, seven years on, right? After the marriage. And so being a, and I've got, I've got two children and my primary concern has been to make sure that they have a really healthy environment at home so that, that being a single parent, they're not at a disadvantage. They don't repeat the, 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 the behavior. And especially my son who um, he didn't witness physical violence, obviously, because he wasn't there, but the emotional violence was present when he was around he does not repeat that. And same thing for my daughter, for her not to repeat that in her life, either as a receiver or as a giver. And this is important as, as parents. Being a single parent is not stigma, but you do need to know that you do have the ad- added responsibility of taking care of the mental well-being um, from yeah. the trauma that you have suffered because the children do suffer it with you as long along with you. Absolutely. And I, I think it's amazing the job done by many single parents, single yeah. mums, uh, the other thing I was going to say, we talked before about suicide and ha- around half the people in Australia who are suicide have no engagement with any medical health professionals. Mm. So you could increase these expenditure mm. around the, sim- the symptoms a thousand times. You know, it, It's not going to impact these. We need to get back to the root cause. Yeah. What is this? And we're going through this experiment at the moment around social media. It's never been done before. We don't know how it's going to turn out i mean the, the it's but there's some there are some worrying trends around that um anyway this is <laughs> there's some positive things that we're going to do mm. uh, together and uh yeah hopefully uh 
uh, I'll play a small part in, in uh, making uh, making an impact in in uh, around me. Uh, tell me, so you know, you, I know you you started off your life started off obviously trouble troublesome, and and you worked and your you and your wife worked really hard to get to financial security and safety where you did. And then once you were quite comfortable, you took a, a plunge and started working towards and helping other people. How has you, you know, your life shaped you to be able to help others and recognize the pain in others? Because I don't, I, I truly am the opinion. If you haven't been through pain, it's you can have some sort of empathy, but not true empathy. And I'm not sure how how much you can understand people's pain unless you've been through it doesn't have to be the same pain or similar pain, but pain that you understand what someone else is going through. Yeah. Look, I think the lived experience is important. I mentioned as a kid the lack of confidence and self-esteem. Yeah. Maybe if I give an example, my my, my dad uh, would take uh, me and my two brothers and and there'd be some of my dad's mates and their sons and we would all go camping in, in Victoria in Australia. And it was all about guns. Mm. Um, it was about guns and shooting things and killing things. Um, example, one of my dad's mates, he'd lie on his back with a 303, which is a powerful rifle, and he'd try and shoot these wedge-tailed eagles, which are flying. About. I used to love watching them fly. And I hated it. I hated mm. the shooting and the killing. And they would go out spotlighting. Spotlighting is where you go out in a car with, and you've got these powerful lights at the nighttime and you're looking for animals. There was always a justification what they were going to kill. But as a probably I would have been about 10, I didn't want to go. So I would stay back at the tent site on my own, thinking, what sort of man am I? I don't want to go out and do this stuff. Now, I'm not judging them, but I queried my own manhood because yeah. I was different to them. And it, it's, it's thing, I, I just continuing that on, I'm now 100% comfortable with who I am. And I, I think it's, it's very difficult, in my view, to try and define a man by what a man is. Mm-hmm. I find it much easier to define by what a man isn't, what a real man. And I used to think it was like a, a cross between Indiana Jones and James Bond and Clint Eastwood, but mm. it's not. And, uh, you know, my grandkids... Those are very masculine versions of men. Of course, they are. Yeah. So I, I would rather say that a real man doesn't perpetrate domestic violence. Yes. A real man's not abusive. That, that, I would say that and if I cry more now than previously at movies and things like I cry with happiness sometimes and I'm totally fine with that that's that's okay I'm gonna add something to that because I from my culture and I, I my background is I'm, I'm Muslim by the way so I'm a practicing Muslim as Muslim and crying and when you're connecting to God is very normal and this this idea that men don't cry is a western concept where it came back from, I don't know, um, but I I know that it's a Western concept. It's it's not in is Islam because Islam you have these Islam is a very it, it treats gives men a lot of masculine power. They are the providers and protectors of of the community and the, and the and the family and the women and so forth. So they are very much it's a very masculine religion. So, but in that regard, men would when they're praying, they'd be bawling their eyes out. And when I'm and when I you know I don't go to mosque very often. I'm not a big fan of mosques. But I have seen people who are close to their spirituality, close to God. These really masculine men who go out and do all the other things come to the prayer five times a day. And the closer they are, the more closer they are, the more they'll be bawling their eyes out crying. So the, crying doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't no. show that you're not a man. These are very, very masculine men who are 
providing and protecting will go out to war. I mean, in the histories depicts it, people who have gone into wars who are really, really like, you know, very masculine to the, to the epitome of masculinity, yet when they, they stood in front of their God, and this is another religious as well, um, Christianity and, and Judaism as well, these really amazing masculine men, when they stood in, before their God, they cried out of pure emotions and love. So why is crying seen as a weakness? Um, I don't know, but we often in the Western world, there's this facade that men put on. There's this yeah. shame, underlying shame. And it's one of the reasons why the suicide rate is higher. It's, it's we, we feel like we're not, we're not making it. We're not, you know, we're, we're, we're failing or, or whatever. And it's, it's interesting. We, man breaks his arm. We go to the doctor, no hesitation. Well, it should be no hesitation. But we're feeling sad or anxious or depressed to an extreme level, but we don't go and seek help. That's one of the advantages of mentoring men is that this is the logic or illogic of a man. If I'm feeling sad or depressed and I go and see a mental health professional, it's almost confirmation in my mind that I'm broken. Mm. But I'll go and have a chat to him. He's not qualified. We just have a chat. I do most of the talking. This is the other. And Ian just listens and we'll go for a walk. And it's incredible how powerful that is. And most of the issues we face don't need mental health professionals or medical professionals. We just need more love. We need to get back to the, to the village concept. We need to get back to the communication, to the storytelling, yeah. to the story listening, um, to the support. I think, um, I think what you just said made, made me think about something else, um, the village concept. There was so much wisdom in that, uh, you know, that, you know, we're not, we're not designed to be live in isolation. We're not designed to live in nuclear families. We're not designed to live in a way where it's just me, myself, and my kids in my home, and that's it. And everyone's in their own on room and in the, in the on the phones. That's not what how we're designed to live. We're designed to be talking to people around people, com- talking and laughing and joking. And and the old, uh, you know, the old saying, "It takes a village to raise a child." It's true because you don't just need your parents. You need your friends and uncles and neighbors and you know grandparents. We've sort of moved so, so far away from that that old tradition that that becomes like, oh, those are the olden days. Well, this is, that's probably the primary reason for our emotional problems because we don't speak to anyone. Everyone, everyone, when the rise of the social media, everyone just looks all smiley and perky and friendly on online, whereas within behind closed doors, it's just all tears. Well, they people tend to put up their best side. It's the facade on social media. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, as you said, it, it's lies there. I can I share an experience? I, I talk a bit about finding and, and, and living our best life. Um, and my wife, my wife and I are keen bike riders, and we're on the Greek islands in September last year. And we're on this, it's like a pirate ship that go around from Greek island to Greek island. It's fantastic. They don't load all these bikes. And we follow a tour guide around the island, and uh, he had an e-bike. It's a bit of a status thing here. We, did, we, had, we had to pedal all the way. Um, and he took us up the top of an island one day, and he stopped us. He pointed to an island on the horizon, and he started to tell us the story about Onassis, Aristotle Onassis. So Greece has been through a really difficult time financially, and and you may not have heard of Onassis, but he's a, seen. He was telling the stories as a as a Greek success story, and the story he told was that Onassis was born into poverty, and then he made his money on the black market with tobacco, and then he invented packaged cigarettes, and he made a fortune. And then he got into shipping. I think he was the richest man in the world. And most people would know him that he married John, uh, JFK's 
so the American president's wife, Jackie Onassis. And he went on to say that uh, in the, uh, Onassis was quoted to have said, they say money can buy love. I want to tell you it's not true. I'm the richest man in the world. I've never found true love. And I couldn't help myself. I put up my hand and I said, look, I want to, I want to query your definition of success. Mm-hmm. So you've got a guy who's invented product that's killed millions of people and damaged many more and then has never found true love. Like he was having multiple affairs at the same time he's married mm-hmm. to uh, Jackie Anassas. And I said, I would argue that someone, blue collar worker or some, someone with strong family connections is far more successful than he was. And I, I came back, I was jet lagged. I woke up at four o'clock in the morning. I thought, because I think in pictures and for my own benefit, I, I came up with this concept of success or I call it a best, this is my definition of best life. And it's where we use our, our talents and our experiences to positively impact the world around us. And it's where we get genuine contentment and fulfillment. So on this slide, I've got this best life over there by my definition. On the other side of the slide, I've got us being born and there's this life journey that we follow. But I've got a word map above it that has all the things that can impact us on our life. And many of those things are negative. We've already touched on some of those. Relationship breakdown, um, mental illness, social media, loss of the village. We get sick. And one of the biggest factors, we've got this drive for materialism, consumerism, and we lose all concept in most cases of the best life. And I, I say to people, look, I, I did this for my benefit, but just for 10 seconds, if I could encourage you, just take a step back and think about what your best life would look like. Are mm-hmm. you heading towards that? And I've got the Mark Twain quote at the bottom. I love Mark Twain quotes. And the one I've got there is the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and then the day you find out why. Mm-hmm. I love that. So quote. I found out why, on, yeah, on the 10th of September 2013 was a day that I, I found out a key part of my why. And I just want to encourage people around that to think about the best life. It's, it's, it's not all about material possessions and things like that. It, it, it's far more... I guess, health, joy, in it for me, giving back, fulfillment. Yeah. Abundance, in, I, I would say abundance in all areas of life. I think money is important to a certain extent because you need money. And I will say this, you need a certain amount of money for a comfortable home, a mode of transport, be a bike or a, a car or something because we need to because we, we can't be walking everywhere and other people won't. Um, then again, like that can be even that can be subjective because I'm so used to a car. You can you can use public transport if you live in the city and so forth. So you don't really need to have a car either, to be honest. It's very subjective what you find comfortable, but you need to have a certain amount of money to be comfortable. And comfortable is a very subjective thing, and depending on where you are and which part of the world you are and who you are and what you're used to. But once you have that level, then you know, then it's about having abundance in other areas of life. There's no harm in wanting a jet. There's no harm in wanting oh. a Bentley. There's no harm in wanting a mansion. I'm not. I'm the first person to say. Go for it. You know, uh, it's usually um, not necessarily the material goods that you're after. It's the transformation in the person you become in attaining those material goods that's more important. However, you need to understand not everyone's not everyone has to go for those goals. And I get that. And and a prime example. So as we wrap this up, I'm going to share an example of mine. I'm me, my brother, um, you know, we are like chalk and cheese, completely different people. And I am the go-getter. I, I, I would do, you know, a hundred things, whatever. And me and my brother are equally talented. Right. I'm not more talented than my brother. My brother is equally talented, right, if not more. But he te- he says himself, you know what? I don't know why you do this. I, that's not what I want. I'm lazy. And he fully and he's fully aligned with what he wants to do. He's got a few things and 
you know, and would he ever give a backside and do this? Who knows? But, you know, he, but he admits himself, I can't do this. I'm lazy. You know, I mean, I'm lazy. But he's he's now happily married in his, in his life. And he, from, from where I'm standing, he's happy. So who am I to tell him that he should be aiming for my goals? The my goals are my goals. Mm. And he has yep. his goals. And so there's no there's no judgment. I think we place too much judgment on financial success to gauge with someone's, you know, good enough or not. And even ourselves, we we we, we pitch ourselves against well, they ha- they're making this money and whatever, you know, the you know, keeping up with the Joneses. I think we need to pull away from, pull back from that reality. There's no I, I'm all for ambition. I'm gonna keep saying this. I'm not going to say don't be ambitious because I'm the most ambitious person on the bloody planet. But I also know that's my calling. That's me. That's me as an individual. My children are not even like that. My children are not, don't have as, that kind of ambition mindset, not at the moment anyway, the way I do. But then that may not be their calling. I think yeah. we, as we wrap this episode up, I think the most important thing is going what you just said, work out what makes you happy. What's the purpose of your life? What's going to give you that point of success? And I agree with you. I, I'm very much family orientated. If I didn't have my two kids, I would, doesn't matter how much money would be in my bank account, I would be lost. So at this moment in time, with my level of financial success and whatever I've been through, even my past experiences have enriched me to become the person I am. I feel very wealthy. But the reason why I can smile and look upon on my life with, with the kind of awe that I do is because of those two young people in my life. Yeah. yeah. And that makes me wealthy. And I yeah. know when I die... Whether I leave a legacy behind, like, you know, I'm not, uh, maybe I'll be the next Steve Jobs, who knows. Whether I leave a legacy like that behind or not, the two kids are. That's my Absolutely. Legacy. Okay. Absolutely. So, so on that point, we're going to wrap up. Ian, Ian, tell us, how can we connect with you? Where can we find you on the internet? Okay. So for those who want to find out more about mentoring men, please go to mentoringmen.org.au. For those who want to find out more about Kintsugi Heroes, go to kintsugiheroes.com.au. And I'll just spell that because uh, not many people would have heard of the word, but it's K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I, heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, dot com, dot A-U. Or they can email me at uh, ian at kintsugiheroes, uh, dot com, dot A-U. And I would welcome any feedback. I get a, a lot of requests around covering different adversity themes if people want to get on board and, and support us. So we have a, a team of uh, predominantly volunteers who do this. Uh, I would welcome the the opportunity to have a chat to share a bit of a bit of the story wonderful so if you are listening to us on the podcast the links that Ethan just mentioned will be on the show notes and <laughs> if you're watching us on youtube then down below in the description section we'll have the links that um, we just mentioned do check him out and see if you are able to support his causes they are amazing and they will bring an element of, of satisfaction that's beyond financial gain. well thank you so much ian for coming today on friday future we would love to have you back on money talkies but today thank you so much Thank you, Gal. Thank you for the opportunity, and I wish you well with what you're doing. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to me and Ian today on Friday Future. I will be back on another episode finding out how someone amazing, another amazing entrepreneur, another amazing individual, how they change their life by changing their mindset. Until the next time we meet, this is Gul Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now. If you want to learn more about my energy tools and mindset strategies, then please visit my website, 
www.gulkhan.com. And if you want to take part in our five-day abundance mindset makeover workshop, where I deep dive into energy tools for abundance, then please go to www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com and register. I look forward to being your mentor in the next workshop. And if you want to learn about the spiritual laws of money, then go and get my book, Laws of Money, from www.lawsofmoney.com. Until the next time we meet, this is Girl Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now.